I'm here today with Francis Menton, the Manhattan Contrarian, uh, an excellent writer, a great mind, and a good friend. Uh, Francis, tell us what's been up with you. Oh, well, um, you know, I have a blog, the Manhattan Contrarian, which uh, is, I would say, relatively successful in the sense that it has built quite a bit of readership, and I devote quite a bit of time to it. It is not a revenue-making operation, so it's just a... Uh, a labor of love or a hobby, uh, but I hope that your listeners will track it down, ManhattanContrarian.com. Yep. But I would say that's about a 30 or 40% of my time job uh, compared to a full-time job, and the rest of my time goes to a lot of other things. I have some young grandchildren. Uh, I spent the afternoon yesterday with them and their mother, my daughter. Um, and I try to spend as much time with them as I can. And I also have various other interests. I'm on the board of this Global Warming Policy Foundation, uh, which we were just talking about. I sing in a choir uh, here in Manhattan. We have a concert coming up on May 6th. I got to put an announcement of that on, on my blog so people can find out about it. Maybe we can get, um, maybe we can drum up some, uh, Audience, it, it's, we're singing the St. John Passion at a pretty famous church in Harlem, Mother A.M.E. Zion or something mm -hmm. like that uh, in Harlem. Uh, if you haven't been there, it, it's, a, it's not such a bad place to go. It's a good place uh -huh. to go. <laughs> um, so I, I was reading uh, a, a, an, op, an editorial in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. And I could read it out to you, but uh, just to cut to the chase, it's, it's reminds, it's reminiscent of the um, nursery rhyme, uh, little lady swallowed a fly, she had to eat a spider to catch the fly, she had to eat a mouse to catch the spider, and then she had to eat a cat to catch the rat and the mouse to eat, you know, so forth. It's one fix after another. And so in this case, they've been subsidizing uh, wind and solar. Um, and, uh, and so because of the subsidies, they're able, the, those industries are now able to, to bring power to, at a lower price than some of the oil and gas. But oil and gas are essential because wind and solar are not always there. You got a cloudy day or a day with no wind or the thing ices up one way or another. Um, and so you have reliability versus subsidy. And so now Texas is going in and um, like little ladies are swallowing a spider or maybe they're up to the mouse or the cat by now. Uh, so they're going to be subsidizing ga gas um, furnaces. Uh, which are not going to be used except in the emergencies that present themselves because the wind has pushed out the uh, oil and so forth, and they're going to be used on an emergency basis, but that's not efficient because they're only going to be turned on now and then when the wind doesn't work or the solar is not there. Uh, so uh, I don't want to spring that one on you, but uh, maybe you could talk about this kind of um, regulatory, um, I don't know, little lady that ate the spider kind of thing, uh, ate the fly. Um, what, where does this all unravel? How does it weave? And, and, and what have you been uh, working on in that regard? Well, I actually have, have uh, written more than one post. You know, I, I have on that blog that you were just showing, I have, I'd say, on the order of 2,000 posts that I've put up over the course of the last 10 years. And the subject you're just talking about is something I've addressed more than once, which is the market structure for the purchase of electricity. Uh, when you and I were kids, the way it was done was that a, uh, a utility was an integrated power provider. They owned the power plants, they owned the 
the high voltage transmission lines. They owned the low voltage transmission line that went into your house. Uh, they owned the transformers. They owned every aspect of the system. And, and the regulator accumulated up their costs and they got their costs plus a government determined profit for providing you the electricity. And that was how the system worked. Um, somewhere along the line, this is a process that probably started 30 or 40 years ago, but it's pretty much complete now. Um, geniuses uh, who, who think who, who think they can do better. And, and by the way, I, I, I don't think the regulated monopoly model for utilities was was that great. But the genius who thought they could do better came up with a, a different model, which is that the utilities won't own the power plants anymore. Anybody can own a power plant. And then each power plant gets to bid in a marketplace to the utility to provide the cheaper power. And, and so that's basically what we have now. But they designed and set that up. And it was clearly set up in a way to favor the wind and solar producers. So. They have day ahead markets and spot markets. They don't have month ahead markets, which is what they ought to have. They have day ahead markets and spot markets. And, and uh, first of all, whoever bids less uh, gets what's called priority of dispatch. So, so you get to put your power onto the grid. And it, it, if you don't get priority of dispatch, you don't get to put your power on the grid. Oh, and then they gave solar and wind uh, um, inherent priority if, if they're competitive they go first they always go first and then they and then they blank out the rest of the time this I've, I've been complaining about this ever since I started writing it obviously doesn't make sense so so what happens here is the solar and wind when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining at noon on June 21 they can provide almost free power how about at nighttime on December 21? They can't provide anything. So somebody else uh, has got to do it. And this works if you, it, so if you have a, a spot market one minute ahead, or maybe it's, it, it, I don't know if it's a minute, but it's almost that. They have a day ahead and then a minute ahead markets for power. If you have that, the solar and wind, and you give priority to solar and wind, they'll always get priority when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing, and the rest of the time you're on your own. This this doesn't make any sense. Now, I tell you, the, the right system makes perfect sense. By all means, have a competitive market. The competitive market is we need X gigawatts of firm power a month from now. Make a bid for that. You're a wind and solar producer? Make a bid. If the wind is blowing and the sun is shining, great for you. If it's not, you still have to provide the firm power. You got to provide it. It's up to you. By the way, this would put the wind and solar producers completely out of business because they can't do it. They would they would have to pay their own costs and also the costs of the backup and the natural gas provider. They have to provide for their own plant. So my system would clearly put the wind and solar out of business, or another way of putting it is, it would reveal that they're not really cost competitive. They're only cost competitive in a stupidly, artificially created, quote unquote, market. It's not a real market because no market would ever create itself this way. It's been created by stupid regulators and, and it's a mess. Now, now let's talk about Texas. 
Texas is in a mess for exactly the reasons that I said. Don't subsidize the natural gas plants. Set up the market that I'm talking about. It's the complete answer. You don't have to subsidize anybody. It's, it'll be over. It'll be over in a week. And, and, and your consumer electric costs will go down probably by half. Mm-hmm. So there's my little rant on that subject. But I, no. but I have, this doesn't take a genius to figure out. I figured it out looking at it for about 10 minutes. I've written about it for years. And there you go. Nobody's paying any attention to me. That's the way they are. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm just trying to think of the, the right analogy. And uh, given that I'm only on a one-minute spot market, I may, may not come up with the right one right <laughs> yet. But uh, call me in a month. I'll have a better one. Um, but I think, you know, if I go to a hotel, you know, I expect, uh, I don't know, to be able to turn the light switch on or the shower and, and get, you know, hot water, light, whatever, you know, at the moment. I, I don't expect it to be only on a good day. And the hotel is sell, selling my comfort. I mean, that, that's what they're selling. They're not selling me to be comfortable only on, you know, they, they'll say it's a hotel without a roof. It's like, this is a wonderful hotel. You're going to be absolutely great here unless it rains. You know, that that's not a hotel right. anymore. That exactly. That's camping or even not even quite camping. It's, that's whatever. So, you, you know, you can't just have the, you know, the smiley face times. You have to kind of take it as a responsibility. And so if you're doing a service or you're running a day camp, um, a hotel or whatever, you know, you can't say, well, this is an awesome day camp and we're going to have uh, swimming. You know, uh, I don't know, only when, whatever, you know, o- only on Tuesdays when this happens, you, you know, there has to be a reasonable service. It can't be awesome sometimes and absent the other. Um, and, and, and so you know, I, think right I don't think it would, I don't think it would necessarily be completely onerous for the, for those companies to have their own backup. Um, you know, the hotel has a backup system. They, they're probably working off the grid, but they, you know, most hotels will have, you know, some kind of backup generator, whatever. Um, and, you know, things go out for a little bit, then they can back it up. And that's part of being the hotel or that totality of service. And 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 so if they want to be in the energy business as opposed to just solar, then they have to have that kind of, they have to own the answer. And then maybe they, they you know, invest a little bit more kind of holistically, which I hate the word, but, uh, you know, cooperatively so that they can, can, you know, help those who, frankly, let them be in existence. They can't be in existence right now without the oil and gas industry providing, you know, the base that, that yeah. lets them, you know, be uh, kind of the dilettante. There may be somebody who can figure out how to provide firm power cost effectively using some amount or a large amount of wind and solar, maybe batteries, maybe pump storage. I, I don't really care how they do it. If the, the, the critical point is the only power that is useful to the consumer is firm power. It's power that's always there when you need it. Power that comes and goes with the weather is not useful. It's basically worthless. And right. the idea that we give it priority is completely brain dead. But that's what we do right now. And, you know, I understand that New York is going to do that, probably Massachusetts and California. Uh Texas, there's no excuse for it. These these people <laughs> must be somebody in Texas who wasn't this dumb, but I don't know. Well, it's not yeah, it's not just dumb. It's kind of beholden. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, is, are the Texas legislators beholden to the wind and solar industries? They might be. I don't well, know. There, there, there's probably a, a trickle down of subsidies coming from the federal level um, that you know gives companies credits, and then they get saddled with it. Uh, you know, it sounds to me well, like why does Texas get satellite? Like Texas has its own grid, so so it's separate from the rest of the country. But so our, why can't I, I, Texas I, I, say this grid, this grid is only buying firm power? 
your solar, the, the subsidy goes to the solar producer, the wind producer. Mm -hmm. Give them a, a, as much subsidy as they want. And maybe they can bid for, uh, that'd be the federal government's business. And maybe they can bid a uh, lower price for firm power as a result of bringing down their cost of wind and solar. But maybe they can't because wind and solar are fundamentally so useless that, <laughs> that uh, they may well not be able to, yeah. to make it. I think we should get rid of cruise ships and just go back to, to sailboats. I mean, you know, you don't see that too much. You know, you know we we could we could get rid of. Well, but uh, Randy, the the sailboat analogy is actually a very good one here, because it's a very good analogy to uh, the electric the electricity market, because you could say sailing ships to transport people or freight across, more importantly, freight across the ocean, uh, if you uh, uh, fuel them, if you will, with wind, that's free, and you save all that money on uh, fuel, and therefore you're saving a lot of money. Well, it turns out that the uh, fossil fuel-fired ships put the sailing ships out of business. And, and why is that? Their cost of fuel is clearly higher, but they can get there on time reliably. That's the difference. And the fossil fuel powered ships, the gasoline or diesel powered ships, put the wind powered ships out of business. If you read about, if you read about like the colonial times in America, going back and forth to England, and a lot of people went back and forth to England quite a lot. But um, it wasn't cheap. But but the, uh, the the key thing is, it could take you two weeks or it could take you two months, and and you didn't know when you left how long it was going to take. You Absolutely. could be becalmed out there. You could be blown off course. I'm sure today with the technology we have, we could make substantial improvements over what they were able to accomplish. But there was no reliability in that trip. It it could it could take weeks different. Now, once they had once they had um, diesel powered cruise ships like the Titanic, that was what a two day trip or something. That became a two day trip. But when in the day of wind power, it could be a two week trip if you were lucky, or a two month trip if you weren't lucky. That's no, incredible. Not only that, you know, you you put yourself all to the vagaries of the wind. You know, it can be too much. There's too much of a good thing sometimes. You know, you're in a sailboat and, you know, there's too much wind and you have to modulate. You have to turn things back. There's a lot more maintenance, you know, whether you're having, you know, I mean, the moving parts and so forth, they're difficult to well, get. The, the labor to to work the sail. So then they came up with these very fast sailing ships like the clipper ships. It took an enormous number of people to to uh, to make those sales go now could it all be automated today maybe it could i don't know yeah so i i long, i can't tell you when but this is probably 30 years ago i think it was also in the wall street journal i read uh, they were complaining that the us used the bulk of fossil fuels you know given our population as a percentage of the world um, you know people use more fossil fuels per person in the us than they did in pakistan or something like that and what what was left out was that the us was the world's food basket 
And the farmers in the U.S. produced, you know, let's, I'm not saying exactly, but, you know, 10 to 50 times more per person uh, than the Pakistani farmers did. And they were talking about fuel, but the Pakistani farmers were using donkeys um, and the U.S. had John Deere. So that one had a deer and the other had a donkey. Um, and, you know, the donkey is on 24-7, so it's using energy all the time. Um, and has to be fed, and it's far less efficient engine for tilling the field than the John Deere, which has an on-off switch. So you, sure, you're using fossil fuel, but the total amount of energy applied is far less in the John Deere or the caterpillar, to use another animal, um, than it is in the donkey. So you can have a caterpillar, a deer, a donkey, and and the donkey is the one that is the least efficient, even though it's not it doesn't show up on the graph for how much you know fossil fuels get used. Um, and, and so these these kind of thing where people are measuring um, I don't know. They're, they're measuring things off completely different scales, and 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 to push that analogy, they're putting their finger on that scale at the same time uh, to get those things that feel politically uh, squishy and cute and cuddly, rather than uh, something that's actually going to warm them. Um, I think the the productivity difference between the American and third world farmers has closed quite a lot in the last 30 years. And, and you're saying that you may have read that 30 years ago. I'm not saying it's completely closed. And I actually took a trip to Cambodia, um, I'd say five years ago now, 2018, and learned that close to half of Cambodian agriculture, it can, was at least at that time still, I'm sure it hasn't changed all that much, powered by animals rather than tractors. But, but the, the change in uh, productivity has, is in part mechanization, as you point out, and it's also in part fertilizer. And you probably, I'm sure you know, that, that fertilizer basically is a byproduct of natural gas today. It doesn't have to be. It could be made other ways, but mainly it is a byproduct of natural gas because the idea behind... It's an amazing thing to me, and nobody seems to know this. There's now a war against hydrogen, not hydrogen, nitrogen. Do you know about the war against nitrogen? I mean, this is yes. what's, this is yeah, what's well, fueling the European farmer program. Yeah, it's, 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 people are having, uh, I can't say the word on air, but they're having a cluster something in their own brains. You know, it's a very, it's a very uh, sadistic, self-mutilatory, self-flagellatory cycle that people are going through. It's just, you're not happy. You, you've got your food met. You've got your other needs met. No, 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 no. That's not good enough. I want we wanted to have all be. Well, you need you purpose know. in life. You need purpose yeah. in life. So and your purpose I think it becomes is making other people starve. <laughs> yeah, it's and a religious the, aspect. And it some religious purity. Yeah, I know. But the funny thing is the purity is there. Like the Netherlands for, you know, I'm going to show everyone the Netherlands to scale. <laughs> you know, it's teensy weensy and, and it feeds like it's, it's, I think, the second or third largest um, food producer in the world. Maybe or it's it's, it's, food, it's it's not producer it's exporter it's the second you. largest food exporter in the world so, means so they, they produce a lot more than they consume which is not saying that they're the largest food producer but they're the largest food exporter. nonetheless but but it, it's clearly on the side of, of efficiency and and production rather than you know say I don't know I don't want to impugn any stand but Tajikistan or Kazakhstan which is probably more Well but but recognize when 30 years ago when you were talking about or when you and I were younger many of these third world countries had a huge problem of what they called feeding themselves they didn't have enough food they 
they either had people starving from time to time or they had um, or they had to import large amounts of food, even though the country was poor and the amounts of money they had available to spend on this were not large, but they had to import food in order not to face starvation. Today, you, you almost don't hear about that issue anymore. And the, the two biggest changes that drive that, the funny thing is mechanization drives it some, but not that much. The, the ones that really drive it are fertilizer. And the other thing is, um, uh, green seeds. What what are they called? But anyway, GMO, GMO seed, the modified seeds modified. that are much more productive, right? Yeah, Genet genetically modified organisms, right? But but suddenly, the world can feed everybody without real strain, and nobody talks about that anymore. And 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 so the young people don't even realize that as recently as when we were in our twenties. This was the world's number one issue. Today, it's right. gone away. The young people have never heard of it. And they they can conduct a war against nitrogen, a war against fertilizer, a war against GMO crops, not realizing that this is the difference between millions of people starving and not. They have no idea. Right. So <laughs> you were in Washington recently. Um, Yes, and I was looking at your blog. Can you tell us a little bit what that was? Why you were there? What was accomplished? What's the what's the argument to fight? What was accomplished? Well, we, my co-counsel and I, uh, got onto horses. We put on our armor. We um, we got long lances. Uh, we had our we had our colors, and on the other side there was a large windmill turning. And we ran at it with our lances, thinking we could knock it apart. Unfortunately, uh, we end up falling on our asses. So, uh, <laughs> but that's uh, that's a um, a metaphor for yeah. what occurred. So, so speaking of, speaking of donkeys, <laughs> that's donkey donkey Hody. Oh, donkey Hody! Right, we were tilting at windmills, but maybe not because if we were just tilting at windmills, we wouldn't be doing this. But but we have put together a group of consumers who are uh, interested in seeing what can be done in the court system to force the government to confront the lack of uh, uh, support, lack of scientific support for the entire war against fossil fuels and greenhouse gases. And the lack of scientific support for it is shocking, really, considering how this idea has swept the world among all the people who only read statements being repeated endlessly about what a crisis it is without ever looking at why it's supposed to be a crisis. So uh, our government, our EPA, the Environmental Protection Administration in Washington during the Obama administration, beginning of it, adopted something called the endangerment finding, which finds the emission of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere to be a danger to human health and welfare. Why is it a danger to human welfare, be, be human health and welfare? Because temperatures might go up by a degree or two, a hundred years from now, supposedly. And, and they don't even have any basis for predicting that. Temperature here went up 10 degrees between when I got up this morning and now. So you can barely notice it, but 
a degree or two over the next hundred years um, has been declared a danger by our EPA. So we put together this group to ask the ask demand that the EPA go back and reconsider that. We actually, and, and by the way, that regulation called the endangerment finding of greenhouse gases is what underlies all of the government's war against fossil fuels and all the efforts to block drilling, all the efforts to block pipelines, all the efforts to require less uh, methane emission, methane being the same thing as natural gas, uh, uh, all, all the efforts to cut back on nitrogen emissions, all um, the, the electric car mandates, the you name it. There are a hundred different regulatory initiatives throughout the U.S. government, all of them based on this so-called endangerment finding that was adopted in the Obama administration. So on the first day of the Trump administration, on inauguration day, of January 20, 2021, we put together this group and we filed a petition with the EPA saying, please reconsider and rescind this very stupid, destructive regulation. And we kind of had the idea that Trump was going to do that. Like he'd say, oh, yes, thank you for your petition. Uh, EPA, please reconsider the endangerment finding. In fact, that never occurred during the Trump administration. They never reconsidered. And we kept sending in more petitions and more petitions, supplemental petitions. I think we sent in seven of them during the Trump administration and the last one went in after Biden had taken office. And finally, the, the EPA denied our petitions in 2022. Last year, the, the early 2022, the second year of the Biden administration. And at that point, we said, OK, we're taking you to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to see if they will get compel you to reconsider it. Notice, not compel them to rescind it. No. Right. Right. The court can't even do that. Just compel them to reconsider it in light of the evidence, the new evidence that we have presented, all of which has arisen since 2009 when the endangerment finding came down. So that all got briefed over the course of many months, and it was finally argued in the D.C. Circuit uh, last Friday. Uh, now, uh, what happened in the D.C. Circuit? Uh, it's all off on a tangent because it, because the only issue that the members of the court cared about is what's called standing. And I don't know how many of your listeners, or watchers, viewers even know what that issue means. I'm happy to provide some background and education on it. But I guess my general comment is the law of standing is in such a position, such a, a ridiculous and irrational position as to make it so that so that any environment, any environmentalist can challenge any rule or regulation on the most slightest of grounds, like it's going to impair my view or or there will be one additional part per billion of some gas in the atmosphere is plenty to give standing to environmentalists, but we're saying, wait a minute, this conversion to wind and solar and renewable energy is driving up everybody's elect electric bill by a factor of two and three and five and costing consumers billions upon billions, if not trillions of dollars. Oh, your standing is very dubious, Mr. Uh, Concerned Household Electricity Consumers Council. 
And we are very, very concerned about that and have to think about it very, very carefully. So, so, and, and if, if they can get rid of our case on the ground of standing, then they, that means they won't compel the EPA to um, reconsider this. Did you, did you tell them that you actually are a carbon-based uh, life form? Or, or a what carbon-based life form? Yeah, does that give you standing? Well, uh, no, I, mean, I, I was I was joking. You yeah, know, the fact I, of the matter is, no, maybe, we, I, we, maybe I should educate you a little more because you're you're a doctor rather than a lawyer. Uh, this is not the complicated part of the law, and the, no, the I, base, I, I know the what base, I know what it means. I'm familiar with standing. Whether you are have been injured, you know, you're the injured party, and whether you. Yes collectively i mean this is like the, the concept behind class action that you know somebody's injured and then you can extend the class of those injured to other people and that needs a certain finding in order to do that you know i mean if some guy hits a kid in my neighborhood presumably the kid and the parents are um have standing to sue the guy i, I might you know say oh you know the people drive too fast on the street in general we should get rid of domino's pizza delivery people because that's who did it uh, i may or may not have standing to do that and the question would be, you know, can I extend the damage that happened in that one particular incident to something that affects me? You know, I, I, I yes. So I, you I, have I, to you have to claim some some harm to yourself, right? And right. And I'm aware of that. I'm I'm just saying at the basis of it, though. I mean, is isn't carbon dioxide itself one of the things they're claiming as a danger? Yes. Right. So it's. I mean. <laughs> You know, wouldn't wouldn't that kind of ipso facto like say, well, judge, shouldn't you get off the bench since you're breathing? Uh, you know, shouldn't the EPA close down because they're, you know, in order to heat or either heat or cool the place, they're using, you know, energy making carbon dioxide. I mean, shouldn't we stop all functioning until you've like figured out that carbon dioxide per se cannot be, you know, a lethal gas? I mean, carbon dioxide, you know, my my plants and the trees, whatever, they would not live without carbon dioxide. That is what makes them. It's kind of like you know, I don't want to sound too much like the Lion King, but it's the it's the cycle of life, or the circle of life, you know, the, the carbon cycle, you know, to get things from trees and they you know absorb mm -hmm. the energy from the sun, blah blah blah. They create stored energy. We eat it, you know. We create kinetic energy. We breathe out the carbon dioxide, the carbon, di you know, so forth. But it's kind of like an absurdity to have isolated carbon dioxide as as the tool and mean i mean would would you have standard how that ever happened how carbon dioxide became the devil gas and and the the movement to restrict and eliminate the emissions of it became became a, a religious movement that has that has swept through all the politicians and all the governments of the west and and this gigantic campaign to spend trillions upon trillions of dollars to to limit carbon emissions. This is the this is the greatest craziness in the history of the world. I can't explain it. I can't offer any way that this came about. But here we are. Here we are. Well, it's it's not it's not the it's not. It's, there's going to be more. There's more to come. <laughs> you know, you know, just just you wait. There's going to be you know silliness on top of silliness. I'm going to have as a guest um, and. Uh, uh, let's see, 10 days, uh, Heather MacDonald uh, from the Manhattan Institute. Uh, so they share a name, Manhattan, with the Manhattan contrarian. Um, but, you know, the, her, her book, uh, When Race Trumps Merit, um, I'm reading right now. And um, so I'm kind of a little bit beginning cherry picking the chapters. And the one on medicine, uh, I'm reading quite a bit. And I don't want to give this one away, but 
you know, they're getting rid of the concept of teaching medicine in medical school and the concept of having to be able to, I don't know, resuscitate somebody or, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're making third year clerkships into adv advocacy um, and they're getting rid of grades. You know, anyway, they're, they're making the whole apparatus, you know, for the sake of of piety. You're going to um, die before your doctor retires. Well, it's a funny thing. I was with a younger guy. Uh, actually, I was at the announcement speech of RFK Jr. At the, he chose the Boston Park Plaza because Boston, Kennedy, et cetera, et cetera. He lives, I believe, in California. Um, but he was there, and a lot of the um, COVID resistance uh, you know, pillars were there. So I saw Jeffrey Tucker, uh, Dr. Robert Malone, um, Steve Kirsch, uh, Pierre Corey was there. Now, a lot of guys that I know and admire and spoken with and had, have had on the show. So mm -hmm. um, but um, what is my point here? Uh, gosh, I guess I've lost my point. I apologize. But, um, you know, the, oh, uh, piety. You know, a lot of these things, pronouncements are piety. So, I mean, his speech uh, compared to Biden, it was very, very workable. Um, but his, his, you know, he, he has cut his teeth on being an environmental lawyer before he became, you know, uh, a freedom uh, don't stick you know, don't give everyone the vaccine willy-nilly um, kind of guy. Um, and so there were aspects where he's into freedom, but a lot of it, you know, he, I'm, I'm going to come to the point here. Uh, on the one part, he's thinking back to the good old days when the Kennedys were in charge and so forth, JFK and RFK um, and uh, those days. And when the U.S. was the supreme power, we were the biggest, you know, superpower, the biggest producer of this and this and this. And then on the other hand, he, you know, spent his time in the Hudson Valley as an anti-environmentalist, I think, getting the nuclear, you know, the Indian uh, point uh, plant off the grid and, you know, bringing, you know, making fish happy in the Hudson River and so forth. But it's, you know, somewhat inimical. You know, you can't be the, the, the powerhouse, you know, food producer and all this kind of stuff and also, you know, have have outsourced all of your industry and outsource, all, you know, and then, you know, have these unreliable power grids. You can't do both. You can't be this, you know, anyway, you can't kind of. Uh, I mean, you can have your cake and eat it, but you can't eat your cake and have it. Well, yes, Robert F. Kennedy. I mean, I, I he's gaining a, a, a new respect with me, but he's got a long way to go because, as you point out, um, he has been an activist on uh, opposing COVID vaccines. Uh, and... Or at least opposing them for everybody, and I'm, right. and, or certainly opposing the mandate of them. And I certainly support him on that. But long before that, he was an activist in opposing all the other vaccines, which actually have a much better case for them, for better or worse. Um, and he and and he's also been an environmentalist activist in the power sector. I, I haven't specifically seen where he comes out on global warming and CO2, but I would have no doubt that he is a uh, anti-carbon dioxide advocate, which I think is pretty dumb. So, you know, even a stopped clock is right twice a day, as they say, he got one right. And I appreciate it and I applaud him, but let's get to work on the other, the other issues. No, I, I agree. So it was an inter inter interesting time. There were a lot of things that were redolent you know, not quite of a Trump rally. I mean, he, he touched on very similar points, but it was much more polarizing. He, he, he reminisced about uh, the funereal train from California to Washington when he was 14 and his, his 
dad had been assassinated. And he thought back, you know, looking out of the train, it took many more hours than would have been anticipated because there were people on the tracks, you know, mourning and so forth. But he kept saying there were, you know, there were white um, people at the train stop, you know, holding up. And other places there were black people. And then other places there were brown people. I, I mean, I, I just don't think as a 14-year-old, he was th thinking and looking at it through that lens of, you know, micromanaging their ethnicities and so forth. I mean, I grew up, uh, I, I don't want to shock my, my viewers, but I grew up white. Um, and, uh, and in my neighborhood, that, 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 that wasn't enough. I mean, you know, I could have said, oh, I'm white, you know, leave me alone. But, but frankly, you know, the Italian kids fought the Irish kids, the Irish kids fought the Jewish kids, the Jewish kids, you know, everyone was fighting whatever. And it's like, oh, if I, if I only had known that it was enough to say, hey, dude, we're all white here. I mean, this concept that, you know, humans have been, um, you know, for, for, so his, his intro speaker was this guy, uh, Jamel Holly. Um, who's a bit of a defrocked council person in New Jersey or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he's a good speaker, but apparently he got his hand caught in the cookie jar of actually like altering votes. So that's, I, I guess that's a no, no, <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't sound um, good. Yeah. It's not, it's not that great. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, th there's this, this whole vein of, of polarization of, of figuring out, you know, I, I'm going to leave that alone. I mean, there were a lot of good things. I guess what I was going to say is that he had a lot of themes that were, you know, positive and getting people together and all that kind of stuff and getting back for freedom. But at the same time, everything had to kind of be labeled um, in a black white way, because that seems to be the currency of, of speak within the Democrat Party. And and, you know, it, it's um, in, in the movies, there's a I, I probably won't go down this vein, but, you know, you, you'll notice that. For, for this speech, like the, the lead singer, uh, black, the incantation, a black guy, the, the main intro speaker, black person and behind, you know, the, they have that kind of staged audience. You know, they very carefully pick the facial demographics. And and this is, a, I guess, the point I was trying to make is there's this culture of piety, um, which I, I think that, you know, we're all children of God and we have the ability to love each other and do the right thing and so forth. But, you know, this is inherent division where we're going to take things away based on you know, this new scale that we've invented. And, and in this case, you know, the, the, the fact that you, you know, can, I don't know, do a wash, you know, or drive your car or whatever, that's not good enough, you know, because whatever the, the, the envir environmental equivalent of, um, you know, racism is, you know, fossil fuelism. And the other aspect, I guess I was going to bring up is this word denier. Um, I, I guess where I started with this was that, you know, Kennedy seen as a, a vax denier. I'm not a vax denier. I've given out tens of thousands of vaccines. I've taken dozens of them myself, but there's a time and a place for all these things. And, and people, I think, have to get back to rationality because the truth, you know, and, and necessity does have a vote at the table. Well, unfortunately, the real world, it turns out to be much more complicated. It's more complicated than most people can really keep track of, right? I mean, you, you, you want to solve, limit the number of things you have to pay attention to every day by by taking what could be major issues and putting them in a simple category, vaccine good, vaccine bad, either I'm gonna take it or I'm, all, all vaccines are good or bad. Oh, what? Some of them are good sometimes, some of them are bad other times, some, some should be taken by kids, some should be taken by old people. This becomes way too complicated for people to figure out. They wanna know vaccine good or vaccine bad. I mean, that's why we have 
doctors. But unfortunately, when something becomes a political issue, the political process does it just can't deal with details. It just can't deal with details. And that's that's a a, a huge problem in this energy transition yeah. thing as well. People want to say oh, carbon dioxide bad. Well, unfortunately, there's a huge amount of detail. You can't just you can't just eliminate carbon dioxide so easily. And maybe it's not so bad at all. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think they also miss out that when CO2 level goes up, plants grow faster. Um, you know, this is just very simple stuff. You know, plants have have to you know work less to obtain their CO2, and they grow faster. I mean, it's you know that it, it's kind of a standard greenhouse. I mean, the greenhouse effect is named after a greenhouse. Um, yeah, anyway. I, 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 you probably know that greenhouses uh, pump in CO2 to enhance the CO2 content of the atmosphere to make the plants grow faster. Well, I mean, that would sort of make sense. Like, you know, your kids are going to grow fast if you feed them. <laughs> you know, I, I tried to avoid feeding them because I didn't want them to get bigger than me, you know, but but that didn't seem to work. Didn't work. <laughs> no, it didn't work. Uh, and they were insistent, you know, they would cry and stuff like that. <laughs> they would start crying. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, you know, but it's a nice thing. I mean, you wind up feeding them and then, you know, they they they, they can make conversation and they give you a lot of joy and laughs as, as time goes on. I think people are forgetting that part. You know, everyone's kind of, um, in the same religion race together of calling other people deniers and other people this and that, and they're forgetting all the the kind of good and the gratitude and all that. Anyway, I don't well, want to get too... Randy, um, I think you were saying before, people have become rich. They don't have to work as hard as they used to. And I think really hard work, I mean, read how hard our ancestors worked. It's unbelievable really hard work just takes your mind off all your problems. I mean, all these anxieties and worries and angers that we have today, they didn't have, they were too busy working. Now we don't have enough to do. And what do we do? We get, we get all angry at each other. I, 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 I guess I get angry once in a while, not very much. I don't think I'm a very angry person, but boy, there are a lot of angry people in the world. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, so I had a little uh, plumbing issue. Uh, we have a lawn here, and apparently I can get a separate water meter and and have just water going out without paying the sewage coming in. Uh, they, you know, they bless it, anointed. The inspector comes out, so I put a new meter in. Um, but uh, um, so this is water that just runs off; it does not go back into the sewer system. Yeah. So you're 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 you are uh, putting less burden on the sewer system, so you don't have to pay the sewer piece. Fabulous. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to drop that. I'm going to leave that one there. But um, <laughs> you know, they're 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 basically as a, as a cost continuum. In order to make that decision, you know, I have to make a cost decision about it. Um, the guy came in. He told me a price. We'll call it X thousand dollars. And then when he was done, um, it was two X. He sent me an invoice. I'm like, uh, no. I, don't think, I don't think you can do it. I says, well, I had to put in this, you know, this bell and this whistle and this. And da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah, but you gave me an estimate. He's like, yeah, but, it, you know, I said, anyway, um, you know, push comes to shove. You know, I said, you had to give me a, a decision point where, you know, you're going, you, you decide, you have to stop and say, you know, it's going to cost you two X. Do you want me to do this? Because I wouldn't make that same decision 
if, if the, the, the facts on the ground had changed, if you told me 2x, I would not have done it because I'm, I'm only going to be saving a certain amount over time. So, so now, what? It's going to take you, you'll be dead before you save right. enough money. Right. So we wound, up, we wound up coming to an amicable conclusion. But <laughs> but the point here is that, that there is a, there's kind of a matrix out there of decision making. And you have to understand the, the near term costs of buying this new meter versus the long term savings of doing X, Y, and Z. What we're doing now is we're kind of putting, putting the money in and we're spending a lot, but we're not getting savings. We're getting exactly the opposite. You know, we're spending more to get things that cost more. And, and well, where does that all end? People what, think they're what, immune. What field or arena are you talking about? Are you talking about the energy industry now? Yeah, the energy. I mean, it, I'm just using my thing as an analogy yes, we're, of putting we're, out outlay. Right. You're spending outlay, money. We're, we're, putting out, we're putting out trillions of dollars on the electric system. And when all is said and done, the best we can hope for is the exact same electricity <laughs> That we had before, but, but paying and you'd be spending trillions of it. dollars expended. You're gonna be spending more for it. You know, so all of these these well, things they're gonna to pay be... more for it, and then they'll say to you, Well, but you emitted less carbon dioxide. Will the world actually know that? Yeah. It's barely well, perceptible. It's a funny thing. I don't think society has ever done this where they've taken away their own means of food and their own means of getting around and this and that because they feel badly about themselves. I mean, it's just a funny thing, it's a funny time. Well, you say society. I mean, there certainly are religious sects and cults or monasteries, monks, uh, uh, groups, what do they call them, orders of monks who um, restrict their diet or don't talk, right? They take a vow of silence or vows of poverty, right? And they only live in the spend all day reading the Bible or the, or the Torah or or the Quran, um, there definitely are sects like that. There are people like the Shakers, right? Um, but those are at least quasi-voluntary, you know, quasi yeah, Oh, I'm, I'm more than quasi. They're entirely voluntary. This, well, the, this the Shakers, group, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I suppose you can't be born into a Shaker uh, group, right? So they've taken that out of the equation. Yeah, I mean, think about the, the original, and you live there in Boston area, the original uh, settlers there were very strict Puritans who, who enforced very strict rules of behavior and morality on their communities. Um, I guess it didn't last all that long, but it lasted a while. It, it lasted more than a little while. And, and, but, but again, I guess it was voluntary, at least it was voluntary in the sense of the people who originally went over to Massachusetts. Then the next round is the next, is children, next generation. And I think over the course of generations that dissipated, but it certainly started out being the whole community that was, mm. that was uh, bought into that. All right. So we're rounding out the hour. I know you have other things to do. I know. I'm a very busy man. I have my homeowners association annual meeting tonight. All right. So would you, do you have any thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Uh, <laughs> fight the good fight. That's all I can say. You know what? We, I, I was talking about we need the human beings need some uh, purpose in life. Hmm. Um, and so I know. I, I retired from a real job, a difficult job. I, I guess that gave me some purpose, or at least it kept me so busy that I couldn't think about my anxieties and uh, why the world is going to hell. <laughs> but then when I retired from that, I needed some purpose. So I started a blog and I tried to um, 
disseminate interesting thoughts and, and you do you do actually doing stupid things so i do yeah. my best no it, you know, I, a few people listen now and then so yeah. I, I i hope uh, your readership will uh, well it, you know it's, it's it been you, you know it's like attracting flies with honey you know you you put it out there and then you got me i'm your i'm your your there you your, go I'm no, I best. have some excellent readers. I, I really have some excellent. Yeah, and, and you have excellent readers, and you have me. So and I do. Yeah. So um, I uh, I like to end with a shameless self promotion. I apologize. Um, this is my book. This is how you can help support the work here. Um, if you enjoyed our conversation, um, go buy this book. You don't have to read it. <laughs> you do have to buy it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's got my name on. It's got my my portrait. Um, this is me in the morning. I actually don't drink coffee. Maybe I should start. Um, so it's called Overturning Zika, and it has to do with the last great pandemic. And I find this amazing, fascinating story. I had no idea I was going to write this book, I swear. Uh, 2019, I noticed that it had disappeared. I thought it was a weird thing to begin with. Uh, the name and everything like that, I re read it at the time. Um, Zika uh, was another dengue, basically. And dengue not, never caused microcephaly, millions and millions of cases. And Zika somehow did. Um, at any rate, and I, I just wrote a article. Uh, I, I couldn't get it published anywhere. It was kind of a weird political thing, I think. Um, and there's a whole story there. You can, if you read the blurb here, you'll read how what a weird encounter I had at the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, and I've had another one with uh, the New York Times uh, erstwhile science reporter Donald McNeil. Um, anyway, uh, it, it, I know it, that guy. He, do you? He got kicked out. <laughs> he what? Uh, McNeil, isn't he the guy that got kicked out? Yeah, and so too, the, the, the yeah. Two, so too did the two editors I spoke with on a Zoom call in early 2020, uh, Doctors Livingston, I presume, and Dr. Bauschner. Uh, they both wound up on the, the altar of woke uh, culture. I mean, we, we make fun of the Aztecs for like slaughtering, you know, hundreds of virgins and so forth. You know, we, 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 we wind up taking our kind of best and brightest. These are a very accredited guy. I don't agree with any of them necessarily across the board, but, but I give them props. They're, they're, they're smart people. They went to top schools. They went to massive education and then have to apologize for nothing. And when they do, they still will lose their jobs. It's like an amazing process. We're in this kind of, you know, penitent, uh, sacrificial mode. Uh, I hope things work out. Uh, anyway, so, so all though that's my, my importuning to all of you out there, uh, buy this book. I think you're going to like it. Uh, leave, leave a review. Uh, if you didn't like the book, leave a positive review. If you like the book, leave a positive review. <laughs> no, but I think it's an interesting topic. And I, I, it's timely because Zika has not been monetized yet uh, for a vaccine. There's a vaccine around the corner. Um, it's been eight years. Uh, Donald McNeil, by the way, told uh, his, his interest was telling women uh, throughout Latin America, potentially through the tropics around the world, to stop having children entirely until a Zika vaccine came onto the scene. Now, it's, it's let me check my watch. It's eight years later. And there's been no uh, Zika vaccine. So we would have uh, what's the opposite of surfeit, a complete absence of, of, of children throughout Latin America if we listen to Donald McNeil. Um, but, you know, kudos to him. Uh, he, he, he got a book out of it and it sold more copies than mine. Anyway, um, any last, last words? No, that's it. I'm done. All right, perfect. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Randy.